when is it that we grow the most? I'm a firm believer. I guess I've realized now all of my ministry as I reflect on this sabbatical coming up on getting out of our comfort zone. That's when we really grow. When you're with a group of people or an individual who doesn't share your background or your ethnicity, your culture, your values, your career choices, your race, your socioeconomic level, your sexual identity, your formative faith experiences, this is when the Holy Spirit really nudges you into a new creation. One such recent experience for me was to officiate at what one might call fondly a biker funeral. It was at a local funeral home for a family member of one of our members, and it was a tragic, sad loss, premature leave, of a 50-year-old woman who worked as a bartender and rode her own Harley, had tons and tons of friends. She had not been baptized and didn't have a whole lot of time for organized religion. So when I arrived, asked by her family to come for this uh, service, at a local funeral home, there had to be 150 friends and uh, family all out on the grass in different circles and inside, and they were mainly wearing black leather jackets or black pants or any, any black outfit you could think of, but I thought of it fondly as sort of a clerical look in some ways. Often find myself in that color, except this morning I branched out a little bit more. But there I was, and many had exotic tattoos and long beards, and they were very, very exciting-looking people. And they were reminiscing together about sadness and the losses of their dear, dear friend. As I took the podium to begin this funeral service inside, an ominous silence fell over everyone. They all filled in, and the chairs went way to the back of a long room. Personally, at that moment, I felt as boring an institutional Lutheran, out of my element and out of my social swirl, a woman from Minnehaha Academy in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who fills her days and nights and years with church meetings, with church everything for the better part of 30 years, who can even walk the halls of this place in total darkness and not bump into a single thing. I quickly looked around and asked for her friends to do some sharing. Would anybody be willing to come up and do some reminiscing? Thankfully, a couple stepped up immediately and spoke eloquently, eloquently about their adventures with her and used scripture from Psalms brilliantly. Where there's a passage that I may vaguely remember where it is, but it was about God riding in the clouds. And of course, the illusion was riding on his Harley as a hope-filled eternal promise for the reunion they all hoped for. Well, I won't go on and on about this moment, but it was certainly impressive to me. I went home to re-examine myself. How I present 
my faith and how and why Jesus' promises generate new life and to whom and where and what it's like to be at one with the family of God, especially those who seem to feel outside of the expected communities or religious hangouts. I was totally impressed with the love and the loyalty and the dedication these friends gave to their, their departed uh, woman friend. They, they helped me to see that the institutional church could use a little bit of that closeness and dedication to each other. They helped me when, in fact, it was I who had gone to try to help them. Our scripture from Acts today is what I will focus on, not so much the gospel. It's a fanciful story, which is one of my favorites about the Ethiopian eunuch. Here he is <clears throat> on a, uh, a road where there will be an encounter, which will be out of the comfort zone for some of these folks in the text. The church family had been, uh, following the resurrection, spending a whole lot of time in Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters for the, the disciples, and things had been building and people had been converted. And then it seems it was time in this lesson for uh, the disciples to get out on the road, to, uh, to get out of their comfort zone and outside of the tent, so to speak, of the temple. And Philip is the one who is charged, therefore, to uh, by an angel at the beginning of this story, the angel comes and said to Philip, it's time to get out of Dodge. It's time to go out on the road with this uh, story and head toward Gentile regions, toward Greek and Roman populations. So on a wilderness road, he quickly meets an African eunuch from Queen Candace's court, studying the book of Isaiah in his chariot. Now, many scholars think that this story is kind of fanciful, you know, that he would be reading the book of Isaiah in the middle of the desert uh, and then uh, would find the disciple coming along. But let's go with it because it has a great message. We must understand, first of all, that a eunuch, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is sexually altered and maimed, you might say, from early age by the empire, by the royal court for service in the palace. So a eunuch, by Jewish law, cannot enter the temple because he is altered in this way. But the text tells us, nonetheless, that the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem for a spiritual sort of pilgrimage to be at worship. Where is not clear. And now the Ethiopian, this man who is hungry for biblical insight and understanding, seems to be reading the scriptures, and he asks Philip, who sort of simultaneously appears on the same road for clarification. Philip willingly uh, is open to this outsider and sits down and says, well, this story about this suffering servant in Isaiah reminds me of my friend Jesus Christ, about his suffering on the cross and his death to save us all and his resurrection on Easter. And then who is the one that first suggests baptism, not the evangelist, Philip, but the seeker sort of person, the, the outcast eunuch. He says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Well, that is so exciting because where do you often find a lake or a pool in the middle of the wilderness in the desert? Another fanciful part of the story. And nonetheless, it's making its point. 
It is now the one who is outside, the outcast, who seeks Christ and wants to be baptized. And joyfully, Philip eagerly does this job. And then the story quickly ends. The eunuch probably goes on his way back to Ethiopia, and Philip goes on his way, taken up mysteriously and dropped in another city for his next assignment. Now, to this day, it seems I've hear that this uh, Ethiopian eunuch is sort of a saint to the people in Ethiopia who have a large Christian population, even in the midst of many, many Muslim countries. And so they really, really love this story about this brave Ethiopian eunuch and the way he became possibly a missionary to northern Africa. Lutheran pastor, who we have known, many of us have been up to hear her, uh, her speaking about her book, um, Nadia Boltz-Weber. She is a, a colorful pastor out in Denver, Colorado, at the House for All Sinners and Saints. And uh, she has an LBGT congregation and is now famous for this, uh, for many, many things, her book, among others, but also for this sermon on the Ethiopian eunuch that she has done years ago. And I wanted to share parts of her bold and arresting insights into the same story. Jewish law, she says, strictly forbids a eunuch from entering the assembly of the Lord. Their transgression of gender binaries and the inability to fit into proper categories made them profane by nature. They do not fit in the tent so to speak, the tent of the temple of the living God. The eunuch sought God anyway. See, when the Spirit guided Philip to the road in the desert, I like to think that the Spirit, she guided him to his own conversion. As he approached the chariot, he may have been thinking, okay, I'll beat him with the scripture stick until he becomes what I am comfortable with. But when Philip joined this person who sought to worship God despite his exclusion from the tent, maybe it was Philip himself who was converted to the faith. It was perhaps even a mutual conversion, maybe because they simply asked each other questions in the desert. The only imperatives came from the Holy Spirit. Perhaps Philip, in in his encounter with this gender transgressive foreigner, learned what seeking the Lord looks like. Nadia continues, All many of you have heard is that tent is simply big enough unless you change it, unless you change to fit in it. She's talking to her group who has been in a various, uh, various um, walks of life from addictions to um, sexuality and these kinds of things. And so she's saying that her congregation is a kind of a collection of outcasts in so many ways. They've been on the margins of acceptability. And she says, many of you have heard that you are not acceptable to the tent and you have to change to fit into this company. Change your sexuality, your personality, your doubting. Change your addictive patterns, your story, your brokenness. And if you can't, then you should just pretend. Yet here you are. Converting me once again, says Nadia, to the faith. Because how can I know what it means to follow Christ unless I learn from someone who has done so despite every obstacle possible? 
That's why I am so in awe of those in our community, she says, who have heard again and again, there is no love for you here unless you let us, <clears throat> let us change you into who we feel comfortable with you being. Not just the queers either, she says. Also those who have the wrong personality, the wrong socioeconomic status, the wrong gender, the wrong immigration status, or the wrong politics to fit under the tent. I think maybe that we can't actually know what this Jesus-following thing is, what it's about, unless we too have the stranger show us. But the truth is that we need the equivalent of our Ethiopian eunuch to show us the faith. We continually need the stranger, the foreigner, the other, to show us the water in the desert. It's not our tent. It's God's tent. The wideness of the tent of the Lord should concern us only insofar as it points to the gracious nature of a loving God who became flesh and entered into our humanity. This is the end of where I will quote her sermon. I want to thank you, Upper Dublin. Thank you so much for the opportunity for me to go, should we say, outside the tent for sabbatical for the next three months. It is my first and only one, I'm pretty sure. And my theme, as you know, is the danger of a single story. I hope, like Philip, to spend time talking with people of various ethnicities and experiences of different races and dreams, cultures, desires, and countries outside of my usual experience and local setting. I encourage you all to do the same as summer approaches and we travel, for I trust that there will be Holy Spirit's messengers and evangelists renewing and challenging our faith and reconverting us to a deeper commitment to serve Christ and become like him, if you will engage them and take the risk to get out of your comfort zone more and more. It can be such a blessing. I will miss you dearly. And as they say, God be with you till we meet again. Amen.